welcome to Wood Talk. Now here are three guys who always turn the other cheek when cleaning up tenants. Mark, Shannon, and Matt. Oh, yeah, it's Wood Talk number 367 for March 20th, 2017. On today's show, we're talking about card scraper thickness, what's your highest grip before finishing, and asymmetrical dovetail layout. And before we get to that, we'd like to thank some folks who helped us out over at Patreon. Patreon.com slash woodtalk is the place to go for all the action. Uh, John Noel, Nicholas Guerrera, Gura, uh, Doug Johnson, Old Mike, Joey Sullivan, Ashley McCorkle, uh, Jeff Thomas, Jason Bracey, Jeremy Sanders, and Jared Thomas. Thank you so much, folks, for helping us out. We truly appreciate your support. And if you do like those folks did, go to patreon.com slash woodtalk. Sign up for any one of the levels. You uh, will get your name, actually, in the beginning of the show. We'll make you famous, sort of. And uh, you get some cool stuff in return. Uh, Each level has different little perks. And it also helps us reach goals that we set for new and cool stuff that we do on the show. So go check it out. And I think we could jump right into what's on the bench. And for me, I'm doing a little bit of a do-over. This is one of those cases where <laughs> if I had done it right the first time, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. Do-over. If you know what I mean. So, uh, years ago, some people might remember the Rustic Outdoor Table. And it was a western red cedar uh, table <laughs> design. And, you know, not quite... It got too rustic. Yeah, a little <laughs> too rustic for my taste at this point. Uh, I put that sucker outside. I can't remember what was going on at the time. Um, probably, you know, a kid was being born or something silly like that. And I just rushed it and I had a a can of teak oil. I put just enough teak oil to get a video done and, uh, put the thing out in service and out there it sat for a couple of years in, uh, disgusting Arizona summer weather. And a couple of years later I started to look and I'm like, you know what, this thing, like there is a point that you can't recover these things. Like you just let it go too far and it's not even worth it anymore. So uh, Nicole's like, are you going to do something about that? Because I don't even want to eat at this thing. It's just, you know, gross <laughs> and all, you know, starting to get warped. So I took the uh, the benches into the shop and I refinished those. And I gave So them, I called Matt for a cup of slab yeah, and so just I, laid it on top. I called Cremona. Yeah, I just screwed that thing there right down. Go. I said, there you go, honey. All done. It's now the rustic table sub base. Yeah. <laughs> That's all it was as a platform for the real table. So I took the benches in, refinished those, gave them the classic one-two punch of CPES and, uh, and Epiphanes and put them back out. And they actually look pretty good. And even at the point now that I'm refinishing everything, they look decent. I probably didn't give them enough Epiphanes. I probably just, I, I don't really like thick finishes and that's one of those finishes that there's almost nothing you can do, but make a very thick finish. So, uh, those did wear a little bit, but the table, the tail, I just never got to the table and it has since been brought to Colorado, been rained on and snowed on. It's like this table has been put through the ringer. Um, so I, I had a lot of repairs to do. So I basically got the epoxy pumps going and man, have I threw, I've thrown so much epoxy into this table. It's, it's more epoxy than it is wood, I think at this point, which is, uh, is pretty cool. Uh, but actually I'm at the point now that I'm sanding away the epoxy and getting prepared to do the finish before we get some rain at the end of the week, before I end up like Cremona out there with the, I was going to say, yeah, trying to fight mother nature. That's, that's not fun. I, I do have an overhang in the back that might bail me out if I need it. So uh, that's primarily what I've been working on is trying to get this table back to some kind of uh, decent looking condition. And, and frankly, this was, that's why I don't really mind that it did get into bad shape because I actually enjoy seeing the process because we learn about these things. We talk about what an outdoor finish in theory might do, but when you actually see it happen and see why things are happening and that every little, you know, micro fracture in the wood 
if you don't fill it, that becomes a liability later because that's probably where the, the finish is going to split. And as soon as you split that film, that's where moisture gets underneath. And then that is where all the peeling starts, you know? So it's a matter of just making sure this thing is like smooth, continuous, and perfectly sealed, and then moving on to your top coats. So it's just fun experiment to go through. It's just, well, fun is probably the wrong word. I was going to say, yeah, fun. <laughs> Maybe fun not so much fun. Fun it, for those watching. Yeah. Interesting might be the better word for it. So, so that's what I uh, stopped doing. I'm covered in epoxy dust and uh, doing a show here. That's what's on my bench. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. But what about you, man? Ah, you know, the usual. Chilling, brushing the beard. Just chilling, you know. Throwing babies in the sitting air. Sitting here, you know, trying to barely hear you through my thick hair. <laughs> Your my thick headphones. weave of hair. <laughs> <laughs> Your Mark Defenders. <laughs> Everything truly sounds like a whisper now. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Good stuff. I'm, you know, I missed you guys. You know, well, for uh, everybody else listening, like, they get to hear us like twice a week. I only get to talk to you guys like this only once a week. One day a week. When I was just complaining and, about the, the fact that I, I can't believe we do this once a week. <laughs> it's a little too much for my taste. For three hours. It, it, well, uh, recording time is long now. Yeah. Yeah. That's for sure. But I love you guys. Yeah. Well, I love you too, Matt. Oh, that's very yeah. nice. Shannon, I'm getting there. I'm <laughs> I more, hope he's I'm, not expecting us to say that back. Cause that's just awkward. I already did. It's like one of those weird things where <laughs> they say you love you and you're kind of like, thanks. Well, you got to say it um, back. Otherwise it's just weird and awkward. Even if you don't mean it, you got to reciprocate. <laughs> that's just how, that's just the rule of thumb. Oh, good. Uh, <laughs> <better> mind. <laughs> I think you're supposed to say that when I'm not listening. Oh, my bad. <laughs> I thought I thought you couldn't hear me, so. Gosh. I never have had tact. <laughs> oh, so man. Is, is that all you got to say, Matt? Or me? No, I actually have things to say. I just oh, wanted okay. to say I love you. Okay, well, thanks, Matt. You know, I like to derail things. Of course. Occasionally. Mm-hmm. It's true. That was the job. Traditionally, it is the job of Matt on this show. Yep. Since well, the I've, beginning of Wood Talk, it's been the, the Matt job. I have been really slacking at that job, so I'm trying to make up for you know, lost time. You're doing yeah. a good job right now. Yeah, I like yeah. that. You see mm-hmm. how I'm still going? Yeah, this is cool. I'm enjoying it, yeah. <laughs> I have moved on to eating my Annie's Organic Bernie's <laughs> Farm fruit snacks because I'm getting bored. <laughs> I feel like I'm bored with you. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know you love me. Go Again, ahead. not when I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I had a pretty big week, finished up the farmhouse table. Speaking of outdoor table projects, yes. got that thing all wrapped up. The videos are all done. Pretty excited about that. It was a good one. It, I, thought it, I think it was. I think uh, the response was quite good. And um, I'm happy with the way everything kind of came together. Well, I'm out there with my rustic um, table going, this thing is like an end table compared to the size of Matt's farmhouse <laughs> table. Mine is like, I could flip it upside down, put it over my head, twirling around. <laughs> Matt, need, Matt needs a crane to move his. <laughs> yeah. That thing was a beast, man. It, it definitely was. It was a good project from like a, how do you make something so big? Because like a 10 foot dining table is nothing new, but like if you've never made something, like I haven't made something that big, but I kind of knew what I was getting into because I've handled stuff that big before. Mm-hmm. Just in like slab form, but like no matter how like if you make the the top like thinner, it's still still a lot of wood for a tabletop to cover that much space. But sure. regardless of like what like what thickness you kind of go with, that's going to be a heavy piece of furniture regardless. Mm-hmm. I just so want to know when you're going to drill the dog holes in the top of it. Oh yeah, are you going to put a crisscross on the front of it or? You... I might. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I've, 
I've used it more as a workbench than I have as an actual table for like eating <laughs> at at this point in my life. Nice. Actually works pretty well for an outdoor workbench because it's yeah. like as heavy as my workbench. <laughs> it's not going anywhere either. Yeah. But uh, yeah, got that one done. And now the next build will be the the high boy, which is actually been kind of fun. I've been doing some of the um, design work for it mm-hmm. because it's not, I mean, I don't, I'm not too big into like the whole like straight up reproduction. Like this is, I'm going to go like measure this thing and do make this exactly the same thing as this piece that was made by so-and-so in this year. And then they're going to make it exactly the same way and like ignore all the wood movement things that they did back then. <laughs> right. <Yeah. You> know? <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm kind of, I think the design for the, for the high boy is going to be like a, it's going to be a fairly simple design, but still elegant. And it's not going to be like a direct copy of one exact piece of furniture. So I think some of the purists are probably going to hate me a little bit for that. But I uh, honestly seriously doubt there are any purists in the kilt. (laughs) I mean, think about it. They're there because prevent any from joining. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. This will keep them away. You're leaning, you're leaning like Queen Anne ish, though, right? I mean, simple lines, not a whole lot of carving, and yeah, I'm I'm still, I'm going to keep it all Queen Anne. So I'm not going to like mixing like bunch of different styles or different periods together. Right. I think that would look a little bit goofier, but like simple, simple Queen Anne and not one specific reproduction, like more of a, it's my take on that period, I guess. I don't know. That's a good way to put it. That's cool though. It's, it's kind of a Newport, Boston, Philadelphia, Charleston high boy. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of a hybrid with a little bit of Minnesota thrown in. <laughs> there we go. See, making up my own style, the Minnesota high boy. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Sort of style. So are are you <laughs> yeah. gonna be doing like because what they do they usually have like a cabriole leg on them? Yeah. Like but you very... can go like if you want it to get super crazy, you could do like a ball and claw cabriole thing. Yeah. Which not gonna do. So are you still going with cabriole in general? You're deviating towards the Chippendale the minute you start to add the ball and claw in. Yeah. You 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 eliminate the neat and plain Queen Anne styling. And you, you're you're portraying the style, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, right. what about finials? We doing finials? Oh yeah, we'll do finials. Nice. I want to see some finials. Basic, simple ones. I think. I just want to be able to say but, finials repeatedly. They're fun. I mean, it's like it's mostly carving. There's like no turning at all involved with those. Like, can you make a cylinder? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. That's it. It's all cylinder. turning. Right. And then get the carving. Nice. <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> You go in secret compartment? Oh, yeah. Any period piece has to have secret compartments. Yeah. Somewhere, at least anywhere. Mm-hmm. False drawer bottom, actual compartment, whatever, removable back. Something, something crazy. I will nice. accept nothing less than Renkin. Yeah, there we go. It's oh. got to be, you know, all kinds of gears and counterbalanced oh, weights. National and treasure style or something. Spring-loaded stuff. Yep. I think that might push the start date a little bit. <laughs> we might have to go back a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, this one's already, I could tell, going to be a challenging one for on the production side of things. Let's not make it more complicated. Have you have I, you put yes. any thought, like seriously, have you put any thought to designing it to be like uh, not modern in appearance, but functionally modern? Like, well, it's high, like a, well I mean, it is a, a high boy. So, yeah, it's a chest of drawers. I'm thinking of um, full-blown like secretary desks and stuff which just yeah. have no place in a modern household anymore <laughs> you can't put a computer in there now nah, all right never mind i don't know what i'm talking about I'm talking high boys but that's actually that brings up a really good point about this build i think you know some people are kind of turned off by the style but as a 
I guess, a joinery or as a technique-based kind of way of looking at it, there's not a whole lot to it. We're literally we're building a table that includes drawers in it with right. a chest of drawers sitting on top of it. Right. And Lots of dovetails, some tenons, some know, cabriole legs. The, the ornamentation is just what adds to that. So you could literally take <laughs> the plan for the high boy and like modernize it, like get rid of the cabriole legs and just do standard tapered legs. You would and get rid of like maybe some like curve around the bottom rails or something like that, and you would have a table of drawers, and then you can build a chest of drawers and sit on top of it if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. What kind of top are you going for? Oh, we're doing bonnet. Okay, nice. Yeah, real legitimate, you know. Nice <laughs> gooseneck moldings turned rosettes at the top. I don't know if we'll do rosettes. Tiny. We might. I don't know about rosettes yet, but definitely the gooseneck, definitely the bonnet top, and definitely the finials. Cool. And dude, even oh. even with this being sort of a modernized or a Cremona influenced take on this sort of classic form, this is still something that would have never otherwise been in the guild. This is just not something that interests <laughs> Mark me. Mark has no interest in this to, right. at any level. In fact, in fact, he's planning on heckling the entire build. What oh, is I'm this sure. crap? <laughs> yeah, and well, and that's the thing. I actually will enjoy watching it. You know, seeing someone else build it, I think is fantastic. And like uh, Tommy Max. Uh, Bombay secretary was something that at the time I was glued to. I really enjoyed it. So I will watch it and absolutely enjoy it, but it is not something I would ever have done for, for the guild. It's just, it's just not my thing. So yeah, that's why why we brought you in. That's awesome. Ah, thank you. Yeah, it Uh, is, it is tough, you know, because it's one of those things. I love the style. I love the, the stylistic details and like making a cabriole leg is a lot of fun, but man, it does not fit in my house. Like stylistically Mm -hmm. actually. And, and, Literally, it doesn't fit in my house in a couple of areas. Get it in the door. The ceilings aren't high enough, you know. But yeah, yeah it's it, it's fun to watch other people build it. Oh, show. Speaking of watch. you building, Shannon, what you doing? Uh, well, I was working on a on an apprentice lesson for the Hinchel School this weekend, specifically on planing knots. So I actually went to the lumber yard with the the explicit trying to find the naughtiest board as possible. One that had been really, really bad, needed a spanking. And <laughs> so had just not, not just like knots, but bad knots, like <clears throat> ones that were falling out and rotten and, you know, you could poke through and then that had some with sound knots just so we could talk about the different types of them. So I ended up with this Atlantic cedar board that, like I, I don't know who it pissed off in a former life, but <laughs> this thing was more not than straight grain. It was ridiculous. Nice. So I spent uh, a lot of my weekend just actually planing that and getting it nice and smooth, and it was a, it was a challenge. But boy, was it a good uh, lesson piece. And then I, uh, on Sunday, went to install a doorknob. Not like brand new door had to drill holes, but literally just had to replace a doorknob, and it took me two hours. It's pathetic. It's like, you know, I was successfully able to smooth plane a really, really not filled board and yet couldn't install a doorknob. It just goes to show you I can build furniture. I just can't do DIY stuff. It was ridiculous. I mean, everything in my house is non-standard because the house is built in 66. I don't know when building codes and standards kicked in, but it was after that. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm trying to move the um, the lock out of out of the, the, the bore in the door. What I think that's called the lock bore. Um and, it, you know, the, the existing knob comes out without a problem. Nothing fit. <laughs> Nothing fit that on sucks. the new knob. <laughs> and, you know, they have those jigs and things you can clamp to the door that have, like, the bushing that will guide everything through. But I'm not going to go buy one of those. I probably should because I've got a bunch of other doors that need to be replaced. But th- with the holes already drilled, 
the only way to enlarge that is literally just like eat away at it with a rasp. So, you know, I've got my are you rasp out, you know, <laughs> nothing doing, but the best doing for that fine door. <laughs> work on, on basically, you know, crappy doors from the 60s. But yeah, oh, it, it finally got installed and it works. And, you know, I think we've talked about this before. Like, it's just ridiculous. The minute I leave my shop and do like typical home improvement, home remodeling stuff. Mm-hmm. First of all, just the complete inefficiency of when I leave my shop, invariably, I forget the tool. Then you're going to go back downstairs and get it. You know, so just just that project made me think I need to not only build another like toolbox for like DIY tools, but like integrate like a stool into it or something. So I've got a place to sit down <laughs> because so much of my DIY projects are just like, oh, man, this doesn't fit. Are you kidding me? Like having right. to like go around and fix stuff that doesn't fit. There's nothing in this house that fits. Nothing is square. Nothing is straight. Nothing is a standard size. Like if I decided I actually I thought, you know what, maybe I should use this opportunity to just go ahead and replace the door. Well, the door is not a standard size. It's not a standard opening. <laughs> you know, I could go to like a door place and get the door made or they might even have it in stock. But you can't go to Home Depot and buy a door yeah. that fits this opening because it's not standard. So too bad yeah. you don't know a woodworker who could build one. Yeah, yeah you know, to build one. But that's the problem. You know, you can't just build one door. Yeah, you know, on a slab door. Uh, I could. There we go. <laughs> I could, and then I could have it like play the slabbergasted every time it opens. Yeah. It's like one of those birthday cards that opens and plays music. Every time we open the door to the master bedroom, slabbergasted. Yeah, that'd be good. So yeah, that was my, uh, my foray into DIY and it took most of my day on Sunday. That sounds good. Yes, sir. It was great fun. Let me tell you. Alrighty. Well, let's get into our kickback here. We got, uh, let's see, we got a kickback from AJ. Instead of a question, he usually asks questions. Today it's a kickback. Hey guys, it's uh, AJ again from New England Woodworking Studio. I'm um, finally caught up on all the episodes I've been behind. I have some kickback for you from your last extra episode about lumber pricing and a uh, couple of slabs. Um, I tell people all the time to look on Craigslist. I mean, you got to be careful when you buy lumber from people on Craigslist. There's a million, you know, Mac Ramonas out there on Craigslist selling lumber. God forbid. I uh, got, <laughs> I have to do this big table coming up, and I bought, I want to say, five or 600 board feet of really nice black walnut uh, from a guy who had a garage just full of black walnut, and I pretty much got it for an old Delta drum sander. I mean, I get I do deals like that all the time. I've you know gotten tons. I want to say forty percent of my lumber that way. So uh, yeah, just wanted to give you a little kickback on that. I've never done kickback before. I've only answered uh, asked questions, so uh, I enjoyed it. Thanks. Well, that was good, AJ. Very well done. You enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. There was a plot. The one thing was exciting. The one thing that I have to say, and this goes with Craigslist in general, buyer beware. (laughs) You know. Like, oh, I just bought a bunch of walnut. Great. Does it have thousand canker disease? Like, <laughs> why was it so cheap? Has it been dried? I don't know. What yeah. state is it in? You know, I mean, he's right. He's absolutely right. You can get some great deals, but you might want to think about like picking up a moisture meter or, you know, be just be very careful. You could bring, oh, I got some great deal on white oak. And suddenly your entire lumber stash has little piles of sawdust with little beetle holes in it. You know, just... Just be careful. Do well, your due diligence like, before you bring in strange lumber. It's like anything else. It's a used marketplace, you know, yeah. an appliance yeah. or anything else you might buy from there. You should always go in with a certain degree of apprehension and a little bit of suspicion, you know. 
uh, especially if it's a really good deal. All right, uh, got another kickback here. Can't remember the dude's name, but it's about uh, the static issue we were talking about. Yes, my name is Casey Larson, and in the latest episode of Wood Talk, in kickback revolving Ron's statement about static electricity and PVC pipe, I am a licensed electrician, and you really don't have to worry about static electricity and PVC pipe. If you do not have to ground a PVC pipe for running water, then there's no sense in grounding it for um, static electricity in uh, for wood movement through it. Um, the only place that you'd ever have any kind of concern would be if the motor of your dust collection system is not properly grounded. That is the only time that it is going to discharge any kind of that it would discharge any kind of static electricity in order to uh, to create a fire. Granted, you don't hear about that happening very often, but it is plausible. If you want to take a, an extra step and to be sure that it's not going to, you could attach another ground wire to the motor of your uh, dust collector and send it to the ground of the of the of the house. Um, that would allow it to. That would basically allow it to where you don't have any issues with the grounding. Um, a motor basically sends its unbalanced load through the neutral line back into ground at the sub-panel of the building to, anyway. So um, just the safety aspect, you could externally ground the motor, the, the case on the motor, and not have to worry about the static discharge on the on the piping itself. Um, thanks for listening. I uh, love listening to the show, guys, and uh, y'all keep it up. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Cool. Appreciate that perspective. Thanks for uh, leaving us a voicemail about that. Um, nice. It was almost like a live call, too, because he actually paused when Nicole opened the garage door behind you. <laughs> yeah, like as a like courtesy. He paused to let the noise like, go away, and yeah. then, you know, it <laughs> it's worked good, out. Just good timing Kinda on that nice. one. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Uh, well, this next one comes from Jared, and he wrote simply, stuff. All right. <laughs> And then he put in parentheses, Shannon said the first one to type stuff got Mark's chisels. Not sure I'm the first, but I thought I would try. So there you go, Mark. Okay. Um, Jared, just uh, send uh, contact Mark with your address and he will send you his uh, chisels. I'm glad that's resolved now. Yeah, it's important. <laughs> <laughs> this is groundbreaking stuff. Here, yeah, no, I think that's a good thing you put that in there. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, next one is from Nathan. And it's addressed to Mark and I'm reading it. Mark, when you were talking about <laughs> yes. walking to a store and measuring a chair reminded me the reminded me one day I was studying at the Mill Valley Library. I was having trouble focusing and it was when a couple came in and started measuring the sculpted chair next to me. It was turning it upside down and reading off the measurements to his wife, I assume. <laughs> then he brought out tracing paper to copy the curves. Really? So find a chair and take measurements. And he includes a photo of the chair. And there's an article here with links to. And love the show, guys. Always makes me laugh. Yeah, makes us laugh too. Wow, look at that chair. I'm going to look at this thing now. It's interesting. It's fancy, fancy, curvy chair. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that'd be funny, though. Reminds yeah, me a little bit of a Campeche chair from uh, Monticello. Oh, cool. It's beautiful. And the view, man. Now, that's a library. That's a place you want to hang out. Right yeah. There. Jeez, that's, that's awesome. gorgeous. What a great picture. All right, so if yeah, you're listening, if you're listening, you should be really enjoying this part. Yes, this is where we enjoy something Trust visual. <laughs> well, no, they can go and uh, they can click the link that'll be in the show notes that you're going to put there. Okay, 
Next one is from Joel. He says, I'm an electrical engineer and I was professionally curious about the topic. Oh, here we go. Another one on the static discharge. Uh, Curious about the topic of static discharge and dust collection system. After seeing Jay's video, some Googling in the depths of the pre-YouTube internet brought up this article. We'll put, it's a Wood Central article. We'll bring the uh, link to that. Why is the door opening again? Is she back already? (laughs) The middle sections of the article are probably more technical than the average person or woodworker would prefer, but I think that the conclusions are both sound and enlightening. The article also contains references to published works on confined space explosion which would offer the interested individual a good understanding of what can and cannot happen inside your ductwork, Joel. So go ahead, do your research. And and really, if you're going to research anything to any great degree, make it pre-YouTube research because I think you'll, you know what I mean? Like, don't stop at YouTube because guess what? Stuff happened before 2006, you know? So, right. you know. Or, or, or shall we say supplemental to yes, YouTube? Yes, don't no. stop at YouTube. Keep going. Yeah. And, and remember, Google owns YouTube. So surprisingly, YouTube <laughs> results tend to be stacked near the top. It's amazing. Of that. Of that well, yeah, when you're looking at something, I mean, you do this too. Like, let's say you were looking for some information about what to do with your door problem. Uh, wouldn't you watch a video before you went and sat there and read an article? You know, you find out halfway through it's not relevant. <laughs> you know, so That's I, like reading instructions. I don't do any of that stuff. Yeah, personally, I just muddle I, my way through it. I much prefer to watch a video if, if possible. I just want to know, hold on a second. Why the hell that door opened again? I don't yeah, even I was think, wondering that too. I didn't see anybody walk behind you. I don't think Nicole did that. I'm going to close was it, it. Was it Millie? <laughs> well, I don't think she could reach up that high. Right. Uh, who's Maybe next? I'm going to close That's the door That's me. Now. This, one, uh, this one comes from uh, our buddy Matt, one of our, one of our stand-in Google Hangout people, Matt. So <laughs> he says, <laughs> he says, homies. Yo, yo. Kick back. On the ending of Wood Talk 365, the the extra uh, episode. So, yeah, if you're not a, a Patreon person, you didn't get to hear this. So, neener, neener. Um, it was, we titled it Favorite and Least Favorite Species. We were joking about uh, someone needing to make furniture out of cardboard. Well, in 2015, I, this is Matt, saying, I took a nine-session wood turning class with a SUNY purchased artist and resident, Jason Schneider. Jason's an excellent instructor, also a studio furniture maker with an entire series of pieces made from laminated corrugated cardboard. Cardboard. <laughs> he he cardboard. glues up corrugated cardboard and uses regular woodworking tools like the bandsaw and a lathe to shape the furniture pieces. While there are no YouTube videos of his work, someone like Anderson. Then. What's that? <laughs> you said it must not exist then. No, yeah. Well, it doesn't exist on YouTube. It does exist at the Anderson Ranch Art Center. They made a two-minute documentary video about Jason as part of their video storytelling class, and you can find it on Vimeo. So there you go. Um, He was also featured in the December 2015 issue of American Woodturner. And finally, there is a cardboard furniture section on his website. So I'll I'll link to his his website there. Or if you want, you can go to Instagram, at JPS underscore furniture, and you can see cardboard corrugated corrugated cardboard furniture that's pretty wild there we go someone has done it there you, you go knew they had somewhere hmm. take a look i guess hmm. this next one is from kevin it says in response to the question regarding furniture manufacturers and wood movement allowances i used to work for a company that imported solid wood furniture from europe uh, generally on solid table case top you would see wood buttons screwed into the bottom that fit into a slot on the apron or case. Also, any top wider than 24 inches, they would use sliding dovetail cleats on the underside to keep the top flat. Cases and doors always had floating panels. Drawers were dovetailed with a floating bottom. 
In the five years I worked there, I can only remember two times a top came in cupped, and I never saw any cracking or splitting. Hmm. Well, there you go. That's some cool Good. perspective. All right. I think we should move into everybody's new favorite segment. Occasional, not every show, occasional segment on the show. You ready for it? I think I'm ready. Shannon's Lumber Industry Update. All right, Shannon, what do you got for us, buddy? Well, I got you, your lumber. Yeah. That only cost me $5. (laughs) Anyway, so guess what? As with all lumber industry updates, I've got bad news. The uh, SLA, (laughs) not service level agreement, the Software Lumber Association, is talking about tariffs to raise prices on all Canadian softwoods, which if you don't know, it's pretty much all softwoods. Pretty much all come from Canada, hmm. the exception of maybe northeastern white pine, which even then a lot of that comes from from New Brunswick and uh, points north. All your cedars, western reds, Atlantics, uh, coastal cedars, they're pretty much all come from Canada. Your firs, your hemlocks. This is not really applying to like construction lumber, but, you know, that's a whole other source there. Southern yellow pines, cypress, certainly that's all coming from down south, but a large portion of the the shall we say not construction lumber like the one by stuff like even that you would buy at home depot and everything you're going to be looking to see right now they're talking about a 30 percent tariff on that there is talk that you're out of your damn mind that's not going to happen so some people are saying it might end up at 10 percent. we should know more in april when they officially pass that but um the the consensus is it's going to happen it's just a matter of what that percentage is now if history has told us anything What happens when this tariff is passed, even though this only has to do with softwood from Canada, just about everything's going to go up. It's that phenomenon of when the the gas station raises its prices and the gas station across the street goes, well, hell, I'm going to raise them too. You know, you know, maybe he gets a little bit of business because he's two cents cheaper for a little while, but he's like, well, I'm going to raise it. And that's where you see that like $2 and some cents and nine tenths of a cent. You know, and the guy across the street, seven tenths of a cent. Woohoo! I'm going to go go patronize him because he's cheaper. <laughs> it pretty much is going to happen. We saw that with the plywood tariffs. We've seen that with softwood tariffs in the past. We've seen it with um, just about all composite products. Every time one particular brand raises a price, it gives everybody a license to raise it and kind of keep everything around the same level. So we can expect to see softwoods. And again, this doesn't really apply to your construction lumbers, your two by stuff. It's more going to be your one by um, special, you certainly your specialties, Alaskan yellow, you know, Western red, Atlantic cedar, Cypress, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's a fair bet to say that all of it's going to start going up in price. So keep an eye on the final word on that softwood tariff from the SLA come April. Bummer. Yeah, that's a bummer. Always is. All right. Maybe It'll be fun we... when we see softwood prices start to exceed hardwood prices. Yeah. I wonder if we're ever going to get good news out of the lumber news update. Well, the good news is, is we're paying about what we paid in the 1950s for a lot of domestic hardwoods. Okay. That's, that's, so that's great the good news. news now. The bad news is that's going to correct <laughs> pretty <laughs> that's soon. Yeah, okay. We're already starting to see the correction and Don't things like red to. oak have started to climb, but they're still about on par with about 1955 as far as prices. No kidding. So, Jeez. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, uh, we don't really have any voicemail because there were two kickback uh, voicemails earlier, but if you want to call and ask us a question or give us a kickback, you can do that. Skype is where you can get us. Wood Talk Online is our username, and you can call us at 623-242-5180. And let's get into our email. So let's see, Kyle wrote in, question from Mark. Despite your frequent claims that you stopped sanding a workpiece at 180 grit, there are some projects that you have sanded to 220 or even 320. (gasps) He says, insert slabbergasted soundbite. Hold on. Let me go find it. Do, do, da, da, do. <laughs> Wait, that's the no, wrong not one. That one. <laughs> Slabbergasted. All right, there you go. Slabbergasted. I should have those queued up. I, I, I don't. I don't want to annoy people. All right, so uh, he says. What? Right. Stop talking. I know. Oh, hey. Matt's on fire today. All right. Uh, <laughs> are there certain species of wood or finishes <laughs> or finishing processes that dictate that you deviate from your standard sanding procedure. Love the show. Keep up the good work. Thanks, guys. All right. So, it, why why are you such a liar? I mean, yeah. you just lie. I oh, yeah, I stop at one eighty grit. Now here I am moving to two twenty three twenty. I generally enjoy being dishonest. Is is kind of what this comes down to. I find that uh, a lack of trust helps my business. We ironically appreciate (laughs) honesty in this particular situation. Yeah. Okay. So here's the deal. In most cases, if you're building a film finish, you could stop at 180. Uh, My thought behind it is that if you can't see the scratches, then when you put a finish on it, you know, and especially if you wipe it down with like mineral spirits or something ahead of time to look at the surface, if your eye can't see the scratches, well, once you seal that surface, you're building finish upon finish and you're no longer going to be sanding the surface, you're sanding the finish. So ultimately, you're really not going to get a huge amount of return for going into the 220, 320 grit uh, stages. And in fact, a lot of times you could burnish the surface so much that the finish doesn't absorb as deeply and you don't get as good of a bond as you might if the wood was a little bit rougher. Now, I do that with film forming finishes, but the exceptions for me are when I'm going to do only a couple of light coats of a wiping finish, maybe like a wiping varnish or a wiping poly. I'm going with a very light duty finish. In that case, I want to sand the wood a little bit more because I'm not building as substantial of a finish coat on top of the wood. So I want to go to 220. And if I'm doing a film free finish, like absolutely no film, just an oil, well, there's one I'm going to sand to 320, you know, because I'm not really building the film at all. There is no film. So I need to start with something that is as smooth as possible. So yeah, that might be, it's not so much wood dependent as it is finish dependent. What I'm going to do with the finish helps me decide what I'm going to do with my finishing grit. And also I reserve the right to simply do something different because I feel like it. You know, like (laughs) if, you know, honestly, it's not going to make that much of a difference, a discernible difference. If you stop at 180 or you just one day decide, ah, heck, I'm going to go to 220 or I ran out of paper, you know, so I don't have any 180. (laughs) That's usually what happens. (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. I got this 220. So guess what? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there were a couple of times where I couldn't find my 220, but I did have the 320. So, uh, well, instead of buying some 220, I'm just going to sand a little longer with 320. You know, so that, that's really what it comes down to. But giving giving myself the allowance that I may just do something contradictory because of other circumstances, <laughs> and that's my story. Fair that was a good story. Thank you. Yeah, ah. riveting. Yeah, great. Uh, next one here, we got one from Wilson. Looking for any tips or tricks on laying out asymmetrical dovetails. In case that's not the appropriate terminology, I'm looking to lay out dovetails that are not evenly spaced. And are all the same distance apart. They may have been repetitive. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so, most of the time, my dovetails. Wait a, wait a minute. He wants dovetails that are not evenly spaced but the same distance apart. No, I think 
it's like not and then evenly spaced and then not all not oh, applies to both okay. things. I was like, no, I want to know how you lay out something yeah, that's not evenly spaced I, but equidistant I, I, apart. I read this one a few times. <laughs> and please explain that. Yes, because I'm like, I'm like, maybe he was talking about being repetitive. What doesn't make any, yeah, whatever. So I'm going to go with not evenly spaced and not all the same distance apart. Yes, <laughs> to stand it all and be done with this. <laughs> Just go to 320. <laughs> So, so when I'm laying out dovetails, I'm going to be cutting them by hand. Um, most of the time, it's going to be all asymmetrical because I just don't really need them to be symmetrical for any good reason. So for the layout, I literally just eyeball it. So I'll just they're like, oh, this looks like a good distance apart. This looks like a good size for the tails or the pins or whatever I'm laying out. And just go from there. Now, if you want the dovetails to be, you know, they're, not, they're asymmetrical, but you want them to be the same on all the joints. So if you're doing like a box and you want all the joints all four corners to look the same. I would just make a story stick. Really simple. Just make your little tick marks of where all your layout points are on a little stick of wood. You can transfer those layout points to all different joints in that piece and then lay out your dovetails from there and you should be good to go. Hmm. Sounds bueno. I don't know. Seems like a good way to go. You know what I like to do? I've got like three or four of these little uh, squares you know, from my big uh, 12 inch to the little four inch guy and I got a six inch, I use those and set each one up. And this way I can kind of like set one and dedicate it to a measurement. And I mean, maybe I'm the only guy who has like four of these things, <laughs> but I'm sure some of you got a couple of them. Uh, mm-hmm. That could actually be pretty useful to, to have and have them set up. You know, if you're talking about a small drawer, that's you know not too big. I, I actually do the same thing with dividers. I'll have like I've got a lot of dividers. I don't know why I have so many dividers, but I'll actually set up like four different ones to different settings. Mm-hmm. You know, and this one is the distance from the edge of the board to the, you know, the start of that half tail or half pen or the end of the half pen, I should say. Mm-hmm. And this one is the half pen on the other end of the board. You know, mm-hmm. if you want it to be different there and you just end up laying them out using those different dividers. Sure. So they're evenly spaced, but not. <laughs> oh, I'm so confused. <laughs> It's yeah. too complex. Let's move on. <laughs> All right. This next one comes from um, Colonel Sanders' son, Jeremy. Sanders. <laughs> Everyone knows. Everyone knows his son is Jeremy. <laughs> and uh, he says, hi, Mark, Matt, and Shannon. Mm-hmm. I'm looking to start using card scrapers. But how thick of a card scraper is good? I've seen between 0.02 and 0.08 thick. Uh, hopefully, you three can set some light on this topic. I've been listening to the show for about three years or so, and... I love the only podcast I listen to. Hmm. I hope so. <laughs> well, it's good to know that you only listen to one and that you love it because that just sounds like work. If you don't <laughs> yeah. like it, why well, would you keep listening? listening if Maybe you, you should stop listening to podcasts. Uh, if, you know, anyway, um, me personally, I've never paid that much attention to the thickness, like pulled out a, you know, micrometer and said, this is how thick it is. So I couldn't really tell you how thick are the ones that I like, but I can tell you thinner. I like better. I like a little bit more flexible card scraper. Um, just in use, you kind of want to flex it. I'll put my thumbs in the center and kind of bend it a little to get it to cut a little bit better. And first of all, the, the thicker ones, it just requires more strength and <laughs> your thumbs get sore. Not only do they burn, but they, they just get tired after a while. But I also find that the, the more flexible that card scraper is, sometimes you can kind of bend it even a little bit more and get kind of more surgical with what you're trying to do. Like if you've got tear out in one highly isolated area, if you've got a thicker card scraper, you can't really control where you're taking the cut as much. And that more flexible one just gives you just that little bit more flexibility <laughs> to be able to, to do that. So, um, as far as what that 
thickness is, I would say it's probably closer to the, the 0.02 inch range. Um, but yeah, that's, that's me. I like them thin. Yeah, I actually like them thicker. Um, I, I think the thin ones well, do that's have, wrong. <laughs> they do have their, their place. <laughs> Uh, you know, like if you're doing something that's a irregular surface, a curved surface, those are great, you know, cause you can kind of contour it. Uh, but if I'm flattening a, a surface or flattening a work piece and I don't want to create any kind of, you know, scallop sort of situation or divots, I actually like the thicker one. I think it, uh, it has a, a stronger, more robust hook. I don't have to bend it as much and I don't want to because I'm just doing something that's flat for the most part. So I've, I've, I generally, if I'm going to side one, one way or the other, I'd prefer to have thicker ones over thinner. I can see that. I can see that, especially if you like haven't done. And probably the di- the difference there is I've done my prep already with planes, mm-hmm. so I'm just literally going back and kind of tackling individual spots. Yeah, yeah. So for me, it is more surgical. So I could definitely see that. You know, the real answer here is both. Both, absolutely. <laughs> go go to Lee Valley and buy their little scraper set. <laughs> it comes in like that fancy little canvas uh, carrying case, mm-hmm. and they have different thicknesses in there. And then you've got both. The thickest one I've used was. Uh, in David's shop, David Mark's shop, he has one that I, I don't, it was like a piece of scrap metal. He he didn't get it mm-hmm. uh, from a woodworker supply place and his were like, they were substantial. I mean, not, not to the point that you'd put it in a, a plane body and use it as a scraper plane. Um, Quarter inch thick. <laughs> right. But still, I mean, pretty darn substantial. And the other thing is I found them easier to sharpen because they don't flex as much under the burnisher. Uh, so yeah, I just found those, I guess that's what I got used to. And then any one that I was able to find was still thinner than that one was. But I think if I'm trying to remember if it was Lee Nielsen that sells some of the, the thicker ones on the market, because you, you do, they do sometimes publish these numbers. So try to find out, mm-hmm. see which vendor has the thickest one. But if you go and just get a set off of, you know, a Chinese set off of Amazon, it's probably going to be more, more than likely the thinnest ones possible. So, okay. Who's next? No one. Okay. No one next. Now I want some chicken from Jeremy Sanders. (laughs) Mm, Chicken. All right. So if you want to stick around for the email extra, uh, folks who are over at Patreon, uh, $4 level or higher, get access to the email extra. And today we're going to be talking about spraying versus brushing a water-based finish. And I think it was my buddy David Nichols who sent that question in. So we'll do that as soon as we kill this recording here. But if you want to help us out and support the show, you can. You go over to Patreon, patreon.com slash woodtalk, set up a, what is effectively a recurring donation. But you get some stuff in return for that, which is pretty cool. You can get yourself a t-shirt at twwstore.com, or you could leave us a review in the iTunes store. And Shannon, how about you give them some contact info and we will get out of here. Okay. You want to give me some background music? No, uh, sure. Acapella background music. That's awesome. That's awesome. Oh, if, if you guys have comments, questions, topic suggestions, or if you honestly think that tenor is the better voice part than bass, then just stop listening. Cause <laughs> listen to that guy below in that opening, and it's just it's just awesome. It just sounds cool. <laughs> so, yeah, there's several different ways that you can leave us uh, contact information. We just ask that this week, if you call in voicemail, that you sing it. Because, uh, you know, we're only accepting sung kickback from here on out. It's just the way it goes. <laughs> Because you know we're going to play that on the show. Yeah. Especially if it's sung kickback with an accent. Doesn't matter Even what better. you say, we'll play it. Double whammy. Anyway, you can leave us a voicemail on Skype. The username there is WoodTalkOnline. Or you can call us at 623-242-5180. Or use our contact form at woodtalkshow.com slash contact. 
Just go to the website, find the episode, and leave a comment at the bottom. We like that too. We do. Sometimes we read it. Sometimes we respond. Sometimes. That's great. Sometimes. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we will uh, catch you on the email extra. And if not there, we'll see you on the weekend show. Happy weekend. Slabbergasted. <laughs> <laughs>